Thanks for taking some time to listen to this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe God will speak to you right where you are. Now, let's take a moment and prepare our hearts to hear this week's message. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Hey, welcome. Welcome to week two in our current series called From Here to There. Um, This has been an incredible season, really, at our church. We started off season three with... uh, this series called Don't Be a Jerk Face. And I don't know about you guys, but like I learned so much during that series. I don't know what it says about me, but I loved it. Um, then we moved on to Don't Give Up the Ship, which was so much um, great biblical wisdom when it comes to our relationships. And now we're in a super practical message all about money. And so fair warning, while today's message isn't necessarily a giving message, will we talk about tithing? Absolutely, because God's word is super clear that we should honor God with our finances, but it's also clear that we should honor God in our finances, inside of every single financial decision that we make. So we're going to talk about that today, Um, and I'm excited to be able to share this message with you. Pastor Colby uh, was speaking at a men's event in Virginia this weekend, so he is on his way home. So it's always such a privilege and an honor when he shares this platform with me. So for all of our first-time guests, my name is Kristen Atkins, and I'm married to our lead pastor, Colby. Um, And for the first 15 years or so, of our marriage, I worked as a CPA in different public accounting firms. So like I've had a love affair with numbers from as far back as I can remember. I, I, every single week I would sit in the pews at our church and my mom on the back of our, our church bulletin or the offering envelope, she'd write math problems for me to do. Um, And I was sitting next to my younger sister, and on the back of those same things, she would be designing wedding gowns and ball gowns, and not me, I was doing long division. So I'm just the type of person, like, I love numbers, Um, and if you don't, like, that's okay, I don't understand you, but that's okay, like, one plus one is always two, like, I just need that type of stability in my life. I love numbers. Number. So today, our message is going to be just a really practical message about money. But it might make you a little bit uncomfortable at times. You might get a little tense in the room because here's what I know. When you talk about money, people can just become defensive, right? We all do it. We become defensive about how much we make. We become how defensive about how much we don't make. We become defensive about the way that we spend our money and the mistakes that we've made with money. But if we want to get from here to there financially, then we've just got to talk about it. So, so if there is a place in the future with financial freedom in your life and a place where, where you are saving and you are um, headed towards the future and it's a place where you can radically be generous with your money, then, then here, here is a place where, where we're living paycheck to paycheck, right? We are struggling to make ends meet. We are, we are fighting with our spouse about finances and sometimes we are drowning in that four-letter word called debt. Debt. 
Do you guys just feel that? Like that was all the happiness in the room, just leaving, like debt. Like that's such a reality for so many of us. Debt has either impacted us personally or we got like a broke friend or a broke in-law who's in over their head in debt and they're asking us for money. Every single person in the room has been affected by debt. And so this morning, just to get us all like on a, a level playing field, I want to prove to you that no matter what your debt story is, that you're not alone. And so I'm going to share a couple quick facts from the first quarter of 2019. So the total U.S. credit card debt was $868 billion. And that had increased from 2018. And that had increased from 2017. Six consecutive years, that number has risen. The percentage of Americans with a credit card, 60.5% of us have a credit card. Americans had an average, though, of four credit cards per person. And the average credit card debt per cardholder was $6,028. So that takes us to a place now where the average American has about $38,000 in personal debt that we carry in addition to our home mortgage. So here's the thing that I know. When we want to get from here to there, debt is never going to help us reach our destination. And if you walked into church today and you were like, oh, I thought we were going to talk about something spiritual. Like, can we talk about prayer? Can we talk about faith? Well, if you heard Pastor Colby last week tell us that the topics of prayer and faith combined in the Bible, there's 500 or so verses about those two topics. And there's over 2,300 verses that deal with money and our possessions. And when Jesus walked this earth, he taught in the form of parables. And over 40% of those parables had to do with our possessions and money. So make, make no mistake, money and the way that we treat it and the way that we use it, that's one of the most spiritual issues that you and I deal with. And the truth is, we deal with it so often, don't we? Like, I can promise you, every single person in this room, this week, you, had, you talked about money, Right? You probably had a discussion with your spouse about money, especially with Christmas coming. And there are some marriages, too, that are dying because of money issues, because of being, being strangled by debt and that suffocating feeling of not being able to make ends meet and that strain that it puts on your entire relationship. So we've just decided that it would be spiritual malpractice as a church, if we didn't talk about it when the Bible's got so much to say on the topic. And we're not, we're not scared to talk about it. We, we don't even apologize for talking about it, even though it might make some people in the room get upset. It might make you become defensive. So I've had this tooth in my mouth that's been bothering me for a little bit. And in the middle of getting like the root um, cause, no pun intended, the root cause taken care of, I had a regularly scheduled um, cleaning appointment that I had to go to. So I was there about two weeks ago and I was talking to the hygienist and telling her, you know, like this part's sore. And she's like, okay, I'll stay away. So as she was cleaning my teeth, when she got close 
to the tooth that is bothering me. Like I jumped and she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like I thought it was the other tooth. And I was like, no, you're right. And in the moment I heard myself say this, I said, I think I was just anticipating the pain. Like I knew what area in my mouth was sore and inflamed and red and tender. And if you find yourself today feeling defensive about an area in your life, your finances that you know is painful for you, I just want to challenge you today just to to lean in, lean into that pain because this is what I know. I know that Jesus died on the cross, not just so that we could spend eternity with him one day, but that we could be set free today so that we could experience freedom in every single area of our life. That we could live, we could live fully alive and not shackled to poor financial decisions or drowning in debt. Because here's the thing that I know about debt. Having debt is going to make you wake up in the morning and drag yourself to a job that you don't like because you got to make ends meet. Debt robs us of joy. Debt can rob us of hope. Debt can rob us of that abundant life that Jesus has promised us. I know that debt will never help us get from here to there. So, so what are we going to do about it? How can we move? So wherever you're, you're here is, how do we move from what you're here is? Because we're all on a financial, different financial journey, right? But we all want to make progress. So how do we get from your here to there? And the first thing that we need to do, number one, and it's always number one, we've got to put God first. Put God first. There's a verse in Colossians, it's chapter 1, verse 17, and in it we read this. It says that he, Jesus, is before all things. So if you and I are going to be followers of Jesus, we have to get to the point in our life where he is before all things, not just some things, not just the things that we want to hand over to him, not just the easy things, but he is before all things. Things. And the verse goes on, it says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And this is what that means. It means that if there's something in our life that's falling apart, it's because that something in our life is not in Him. Because in Him, He holds all things together. So if you have a business and it's falling apart, it's because your business is not in Him. If your marriage or your family is falling apart, it's because we haven't placed that marriage, that family in him. It's the same with our finances. If you find yourself in a place where your finances are falling apart, it's because we have not placed our finances in him. And here's what I know about finances. If you're in over your head, it's not because you followed Jesus there. Like you went there without him. But I've got good news for you. He will help lead you out. But I have a question for you. When someone leads you somewhere, where are they in line? You can talk in church. Where are they in line if someone's leading you? They're first, right? So if Jesus is going to lead us out, he has got to be first. And the way that we put him first is through the tithe. And if you were brand new to church, or maybe you've been around a lot and you don't really know what that word means, though, the word tithe is simple. It just means 10%. We have got to give 10%. 
back to the local church through our tithe. And I've, I've heard some people say this. I give, I give 10%, Kristen. I do. I give some to my favorite charity. I give some to my alma mater. And I give some to the local church. And I'm going to touch on this real quick, and we're going to move on. I've heard it said this way, that Jesus has one bride, and he has no concubines. Jesus has got one bride, and that bride is the local church. Malachi 3.10 says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So the reality is in, in life, there are like two types of people. We've got person A and person B, and they both have a desired destination when it comes to their money. They're both here, and they both want to get there. But person A, person A has concluded that it's going to take 100% of their earnings, probably more if they borrow, but 100% of their earnings to get there. And person B Person B decided that they're going to they're gonna put God first in their finances. And person B has made the decision that God's blessing on 90% of their earnings is way more than 100% of their earnings without it. And I've, I've been around long enough to tell you that God really does want a full and an abundant life for you. And when he says, test me in this and I will bless you, like he means it. So I've seen people get from here to there and not put God first in their finances. But I've also seen the people who live a fully surrendered life and put God first. And God doesn't just take them from here to there, but he takes them beyond. Like they wind up receiving so many blessings, more than they ever thought they could. And listen, these blessings, these are not just financial blessings. Like tithing doesn't make you rich, but you are going to receive so many different types of blessing by putting God first in your finances. And the funny thing is that person A over here, they think like person B is straight crazy. Like why in the world would you take 10% off of the top of everything you make and give it away? But person B, person B thinks person A is crazy. Like why in the world would you not want God supernaturally involved in your finances. And so the question that we all have to answer today is what type of crazy person do you want to be? What type of crazy person do you want to be? Remember when I told you back in the beginning that I love math because I love that one plus one is always two. It's not like, okay, today, what do you feel like one plus one should equal? It's black and it's white. And you guys, tithing, I love the tithing topic too because it's just like that. It's black and white. No matter how many zeros are on the end of your paycheck or how many zeros aren't on the end of your paycheck, God will bless you when you put him first. And the absolute bottom line of this whole point is that this is a heart issue. This is a, a surrender issue. Like I have sat across the dining room table um, with so many people in their homes and tried to help them get on track financially. And we look at their budget. We help them get set up on a budget. I look at their, their debt. And they look me in the eyes and they tell me, Kristen, like we want to be in the position where we can tithe, but 
they tell me, I, like, I got to feed my kids. Like, I have, I have to keep the heat on. Years of bad decisions have left them feeling like they cannot obey God's word when it comes to the tithe. And I'm going to be really real with you for a minute. There's a huge difference between someone dropping a 20 in the offering bucket when it comes by, giving God a tip because the sermon was good, and the person who has sat down and looked at their finances, and they're like, I can't bring the whole 10% into the storehouse, but you know what I'm going to do? This month, I'm going to give $20, which is 20% of my income. And I'm making a plan now. Next month, I'm going to do 3%. And I'm going to do 4%. And I'm going to get some debt paid off. And I'm going to keep upping that. I'm going to keep surrendering to God. Can I give you the freedom today in this room to not make tithing an all or a nothing issue in your life? Because it is a heart issue. And as you begin to surrender your finances to God, he promises in his word, he will throw open those floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you. Okay, the second thing we need to learn today, moving on, the second thing we're going to learn today in order to move from here to there is to be content. Just to be content. Because when you're not content, you know what happens. You spend everything that you have and you borrow more. And the Bible warns us about this. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, this is written by a guy named Paul. And he's writing this to Timothy, who was a church leader. And he says this in verse 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And we live in a world right now and they, the world tells us the reason why you're not content is because you don't have that car or that house or you don't live in that neighborhood or you don't have that new version of that cell phone. But the Bible tells us that godliness with contentment is great gain. And it goes on and it says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. In other words, like you came into the world naked, right? You're going to go out the same way, except you're being a bad suit or an uncomfortable dress. Um, and then in verse, we keep reading in the next verse, it says, but we, if we have food and clothing, be content with that. Verse nine, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Nobody in the room is saying, hey, you know, ruin and destruction. Sign me up for that. I'm in. But the reality is so many of us go there because of this next verse. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And people will misquote this and say, you know, money is evil. And so they embrace this poverty theology like we should all live in tents. But that's not what the Bible is saying money itself is not evil. Money can do amazing things. Money can feed people who are hungry. Money can help provide shelter for people who are homeless. Money can buy boots and hats and gloves and toys for children in this city. Money is not evil. Money can do amazing things, but here's what I've learned about money. Money is an incredible servant but it's a horrible God. And when we refuse to be thankful and content with what we have, then the next step that we inevitably take is we begin to not act our wage. 
right? We fall into this trap. We start to make dumb decisions, financial decisions with our money. I want you to hear me. Being good with your money is not about your income. It's all about the choices that you make with it. In the year 2000, Pastor Colby and I had just moved to Florida. Like we had just survived Y2K. We were alive. We were celebrating. And we made a horrible financial decision in that moment. We decided to lease our first brand new car. Um, And so we had, like I said, we had just moved to Florida. We already had two cars, but Colby's car, he didn't have AC. So if you've been here long enough, you know how much this man sweats, right? (laughs) Why we ever bought a car that didn't have air conditioning is beyond me. But we had two cars, but we decided we want to trade it in. We wanted to get this brand new. I, I... I made the mistake of like emotionally falling in love with this car, right? And I had to have this specific car. And it was the baddest, most awesome um, fire engine red. I'm trying to talk this car up. This car was a 2000 Chevy Tracker. And I have a picture of the Chevy Tracker. (laughs) For some reason, (laughs) this was it for me. Like I needed this car. In 1999, this was a Geo Tracker. Just if you remember, in 2000, it was the Chevy Tracker. So what we did is we took both of these cars that we owned, and we were upside down on both of those loans, which means we owed more than either one of those cars were worth. We took both of those loans, and we decided to roll that into a brand new lease on this car. Talk about dumb decision after dumb decision and rolling into another one. I'll never forget, we paid $319 a month for three years for this sweet ride. And in the end, (laughs) we ended up paying $11,484. And do you know what we had to show for it after it was over? Nothing. Because we had to take that Chevy Tracker and drive it back to the car lot and leave it there. We could have purchased the car for about $15,000. Purchased it and owned it. But instead, We decided to roll all these bad decisions into another one. We spent $11,000 and we had nothing to show for it. Now, cars, cars aren't really the only thing that we can make pretty stupid financial decisions on, but it's something that's like a big piece of all of our financial pictures. And, And this piece, it could, if we were smart about it, we could, this could give us so much financial freedom. So, If I could go back 20 years, and if I could sit in front of the newly married Atkins, I would, first of all, I'd introduce him to this thing called YouTube. And then on YouTube, I would show him, show them this video that's all about how you can drive free and retire rich. And I'm going to show it to you today. Check this out. We Americans have a love fest going on with our cars. We love them. Where else on earth can you find a couple who is flat broke and living paycheck to paycheck, but with two brand new cars in the driveway? The problem is our mindset. We've been bombarded with the notion that we'll always have a car payment. So when the car starts to show a little wear, we just run off and sign a $26,000 note for a new one. Hey, car payments are just a way of life, right? That's the normal way of thinking. Well, the truth is that car fever and normal thinking are sabotaging our chances for success. Recent statistics show that one-third of car buyers sign up for a six-year loan at an average interest rate of 9.6%. 
Among these buyers, the average price of the car is just over $26,000. This means that one-third of the cars you see on the street are dragging a $475 payment behind them. And what the car dealer won't tell you is that your awesome new car loses about 25% of its value the instant you drive it off the lot. After four years, your sweet ride has lost about 70% of its value, and you've still got two years of payments left on it. That means that after six years, you've paid almost $33,000 for your $26,000 car, which is now worth maybe $6,000. At that point, the normal person would get car fever again, run out and take out a new loan on another new car, and start all over again. And the payments just keep on coming. But what if we decided that enough was enough? What if we decided to hang on to our money instead of sending it all to the bank in the form of payments? What if we got really radical and devised a plan to make our money work for us instead of letting it work for the bank? In our example, the average car payment was $475 a month, right? Well, let's think differently for a minute. Say you want a brand new sports car that would normally cost you $475 a month, and the car you're driving now is worth around $1,500. If you take that $475 and pay yourself instead of paying the car dealer, you'll have $4,750 in just 10 months. Add that to the $1,500 you can get for your current car, and you can pay cash for a used $6,250 car. That's a major upgrading car in just 10 months without ever owing the bank a dime. But let's keep going. If you kept saving at that rate, you'd have another $4,750 in another 10 months. Chances are, less than a year later, you could sell your $6,250 car for about what you paid for it. This means that you can step up again with cash into an excellent $11,000 used car just 20 months from today. Not bad. Now, let's just go crazy with this. At this point, you're 20 months into the plan. You've been paying yourself a car payment, you don't owe the car dealer a dime, and you're sitting in a great paid-for $11,000 car. Remember where you were just 20 months before? You were ready to sign up for a $475 payment for six years, at which time you'd have to start all over again. So just for fun, let's carry out our new plan for that full six years by paying that $475 car payment to yourself in a good mutual fund for the next 52 months. Let's just see what happens. Now, you're six years in the future. Under your original plan, you would just be finishing off your car payments for that sports car which just doesn't look as good to you as it did when you needed it six years earlier. So, you start to shop around and pretty quickly end up signing another car loan and going right back into endless payments. Sound familiar? But what about our new plan? At the end of six years, your $11,000 paid-for car has just about run its course. It's been great, but it's time to upgrade. But hey, that's no problem. You've got a mutual fund specifically earmarked as a car replacement fund. You know how much is sitting in that fund right now? At the stock market average of 12%, you'd have about $32,000. Here's where things get nutty. If you go buy a car with cash for $12,000, you'd still have $20,000 sitting in your car fund, earning about 12%. You know what that means? Even if you never add another dollar to the car fund, you'll be able to buy fourteen dollars to $18,000 cars every five years from now on. The interest you'd earn on that mutual fund will pay for your cars for the rest of your life. That's free cars, man. That's what happens when your money starts working for you. You'll never have a car payment again. And do you know what you can do if you don't have a car payment? Do you know what your car payments are costing you? You remember that 475 payment you were about to start handing over to the car dealer? If you were to invest that in a good mutual fund every month instead of sending it to the car dealer, 
you'd have over $100,000 in just 10 years. At 20 years, you'd have about $470,000. At 30 years, it would be $1.6 million. And at 40 years, that former car payment would be worth $5,588,385. Do you think you could retire on that? You bet you can. I love cars, but I've never seen one worth $5.5 million. This one decision about a car can literally change your life. You can drive free cars and retire a millionaire with just this one decision. So what's stopping you? Try something different. Drive free. Retire rich. And by the way, when you're a millionaire, you can drive pretty much whatever you want. Well, I'm going to wrap up today just touching on the third thing that we can do to help us move from here to there, and that is to face reality. Face reality. So it was about five years ago, um, I was over at my friend's house. Her name is Shayna. She leads worship here on the weekends a lot, but we were over at her house, and there was um, this chipmunk that had gotten inside of her house for some reason. And so working together, we were trying to get this little chipmunk out um, out the front door. And, you know, it was kind of cute, and we were, like, looking under the couch at it, and its little eyes are looking at us, and we were trying to shoo it, right? Well, all of a sudden, this chipmunk, you guys, it started flying. Like, it was a flying squirrel. It wasn't a chipmunk. In Pennsylvania, it was a flying squirrel. And so I'm here to tell you that the, the squealing turned to shrieking. And listen, I'm going to tell you a few things that we did not do in that moment. In that moment, we did not um, call like a flying squirrel support group. And we, we did not hold hands together at the kitchen table and pray about this flying squirrel. We didn't look up Bible verses about the squirrel in the moment. Like we took immediate action. We freaked out. Like I think we were jumping on furniture. One of us had a broom. We were doing anything we could to get this flying squirrel out of the house. The reality is there's sometimes in our lives like that day when we've got to just take action even if it means trying to like flood a swine, flying squirrel out of the air with a broom, the worst thing, the worst thing that we can do when we are spiraling out of control financially is just to do nothing, is just to sit there and just hope and pray that it gets better. So I'm praying that there are some of you here in this room right now today that you are going to take action when it comes to your finances. And if you're like, well, I would love to do that, but I don't really know where to start. There, we live in a day and age where there are so many incredible resources like right at our fingertips. I know for me personally, um, because I'm a nerd, I follow like a bunch of Christ-centered financial experts on Instagram. I follow them on Instagram because every single day I love that those truths are put in front of me. And so I have a slide here of some different people that, that I follow. Maybe you'd like to check them out. We've got Chris Brown. Um, Jordan Page has a site called Fun, Cheap, or Free. That's amazing, especially for moms. Rachel Cruz, Joe Sengles, got I was broke, now I'm not. Anthony O'Neill and Chris Hogan. In the middle is Dave Ramsey. And Dave Ramsey's the guy that we just showed the video. That was from his website. Um, I would encourage you to go there. It's DaveRamsey.com. And on that, he lists out seven steps that you can start taking today to help change your financial picture. He also 
has a class called Financial Peace University, and we offer that here at our church a couple times a year. There's a class wrapping up right now, but we're going to do another one in February, so I would encourage you to watch out for that class. The hard truth in all of this is that every single time I sit down with someone and, and try to help them get a handle on their finances, they're hoping that when I'm looking at their stuff that I see something that they don't see, that, that I've got some magic answer or some secret trick that I can share with them. But the truth is, I always end up saying the same thing, and that is you either have to make more or spend Less, yes. So just because the new Disney Plus app came out this week, if that's not in your budget, then you don't get it. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 22, 7, it says the borrower is slave to the lender. And there might be people in the room today and you say, you know what, Kristen, I don't have that much that I don't feel like I'm a slave to the lender. Okay, well, let's, let's go through this example. Let's say you have less than the average amount of debt. Let's say you've got a total of $5,000 in credit card debt. So at a 14% interest rate, if you pay back 2% of the balance on that credit card every single month, I'm going to tell you, at the end, you're going to have paid back the $5,000 in interest plus $5,887 in interest, which makes your balance double. And listen, it's going to take you 22 years to pay that off. And that's why the Bible says don't do it because it puts us in bondage. But man, are we so good at ignoring reality. We say things like, you know, I don't, not me, like I don't have a money problem. And it's, it's always better when you can surround yourself with other people who say the same thing, right? We don't have money problems. So today I'm just going to leave you with a couple quick things, some warning signs that yes, in fact, you might have a money problem. Number one, you owe more on your car than it's worth, just like I did. You owe more on your car than it's worth. If you are transferring balances from credit card to credit card to credit card with no real plan in place about how you're gonna actually pay that balance off. As a married couple, if you make a combined income of $65,000, which is a lot of money, right? So if you make that much money, but you still feel significant financial pressure in your life, you might have a money problem. If you're making financial decisions that you hope the government doesn't find out about, you might have a money problem. And if you're making financial decisions you hope your spouse doesn't find out about, you might have a money problem. And we've got two choices today. We can ignore it and not face reality. Or as hard as it can be, we can deal with it. A verse in Proverbs tells us, 21.5, it says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. So if you want to move financially from here to there, and you want God to take you beyond, the Bible says you got to have a plan. So number one, we've got to get God involved and honor him, put him first, honor him through our tithe. And second, we've got to learn to be content and act our wage. And last, we've got to face reality. And we have to take immediate action. And I want to sh share with you today two reasons, personally, two reasons why I know that these truths 
these principles are truth. And number one, it's because Pastor Colby and I decided years ago to test God in this, and we've put him first with our tithe, and I'm here to tell you the ways that he has blessed us in our life, they're undeniable. And number two, is like the last week and a half, two weeks of my life. Our church, over the course of the last month, every single weekend, we've broken attendance records. People are hungry for Jesus. People are walking through these doors. But people are also financially broken and in bondage, and our spiritual enemy does not want you set free. And he has done his best this last week and a half, two weeks, in my own family, to make it so that we couldn't physically stand on this stage and share these truths with you. He did his best, but I'm here to tell you that that is nothing compared to the power of our God that no weapon formed against me or Colby or you or anyone in this room will prosper. That greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. Amen? Amen. Would you guys bow your heads as I close today? Jesus, your word tells us that, that you are above all things. And, and in you, all things hold together. And, and, if, and if you're someone in this room today and you feel like your financial picture is falling apart, I want to ask you this question. What's stopping you today from surrendering that to Jesus, to asking him to be in all things, to place your finances in him and have him hold them together? What's stopping you from taking immediate action and doing that today? And there's also, there's also people in the room today that, that you're like telling me that there's Jesus is not in any part of your life. And when you hear me say that he can hold all things together, you're like, yes, I want that. And so I want to tell you today that Jesus, I know he is knocking on the door of your heart, but he's a gentleman. He's not going to come in until you ask him to come in. And so in a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do just that. It's so simple. The Bible tells us if you believe in your hearts, and confess with your mouth that you're going to be saved. And so we're going to do that right now. You believe and repeat after me. Just say, Jesus, today I'm going to surrender my life to you. I am tired of trying to hold it all together on my own. I believe that you came to this earth and that you died on the cross for my sins. Right now I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to come into my life, make me brand new, fill me with your spirit today. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it. So please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this awesome journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can do so by going to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.